He's mine now. You'll never get your claws on him again. Just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys uh, got over the old switcheroo from last week, because I'm still haunted by that last couple seconds of that episode. Yeah, I'm still haunted by uh, our talks of Jeff Dunham as well. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, and I uh, was posting those photos, uh, the images from the episode up on our Facebook page. And for whatever reason, I just made up this uh, weird little side story that um, that the main character and the dummy were kissing, and then they had it got awkward. I don't know where that came from. I guess I have issues to work through. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's yeah, so very like, different episode this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely uh, not. Uh, um, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I'm sure. I, th- I think you and I might have some differing opinions about this episode. So there's going to be some conflict, and then maybe we'll resolve it. I don't know. It's always fun. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, this episode is season three, episode 34, Young Man's Fancy, air date May 5th, not May 5th, May 11th, 1962. Number one film, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, the number one song, Soldier Boy by the Shirelles. Uh, no- nothing I found of interest on the 11th. However, on the 10th, you'll be happy to know that the Japanese monster film Mothra opened the United States after having premiered in Japan in July of 61. Yeah, I love Mothra. Probably, probably, I I do love Godzilla, but uh, probably, ah, I do like Gamera too. Definitely top three kaiju monsters. Like I I would definitely put Mothra up there. So very exciting. So are you looking forward to the new Godzilla King of Monsters, or is it not King of Monsters? What's it called? The new Godzilla film that's coming out. Yeah, I I am. I prefer. Uh, I prefer the Japanese stuff, but I I didn't hate the 2014 Godzilla. Um, this one definitely looks like a little step up from the last one. But I was a huge fan of Shin Godzilla. Uh, was that two years ago now? Yeah. Uh, what um, was that? Live action or was yeah? It? Okay. Yeah, it was live action. So um, I think that came it, out before the American one because of the deal they have with Legendary. No, no it came not? after. Okay. Yeah. Um, really fun makes fun of uh uh takes a lot of the jabs at the japanese government and the kind of bureaucracy of them like there's there's a lot of scenes in boardrooms of them trying to figure out what's going on and everyone blankly staring at each other like what what do we do about this 
let's have another meeting. And they all go to another level and start another meeting trying to figure out like it, it's kind of fun. There was a lot of criticism because of that on the movie. Uh, but I actually found it really funny and it was probably the most badass that Godzilla's ever looked ancient. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about the American one. Yeah, I mean, I am too. I, I the 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 first one was okay. Like, I didn't dislike it. It, it was good. Uh, I understand what um, was it? No, who? Whoever the director of that was, he's the one that did uh, Monsters, which is a really good movie. Uh, yeah, I knew yeah. what he was going going for. Um, and then you know, hiding uh, hiding the monsters until like the end. We get it, but it's like it's also Godzilla, so I'm pretty sure people know what that is. So it isn't like there's a big yeah. reveal. <laughs> Um, but this one looks like it's more going to be just a throwdown. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, and yeah. it's directed by Michael Doherty, I believe the yeah. director of trick or treat. So, you know, so. you know, it's going to have uh, some dark humor running through it. Uh, so yeah, it'll be, yeah. it's going to be a crowd pleaser um, for sure. So I, I, and I know we're on a sidetrack here, but, uh, go check out if you haven't the more recent Gamera series, hmm. they're ridiculous and really fun. Uh, you can get like a pack of nine Gamera films for like 10 bucks or something on DVD. So um, if you're into that kind of thing, I highly recommend that. Nice. So, yeah. And enough about Kaiju. No, <laughs> no. And well, actually, and I lied. There actually was something happened on the 11th because I can't read my own notes. Uh, kind of related, kind of not. Students at Orange County State College, later California State University, Fullerton, who cares, Wikipedia, staged what was billed as the first intercollegiate elephant race in human history, with 15 elephants that raced through different events in Fullerton, California. Winners in various weight ranges included Kinney of Long Beach State and Captain Hook of Orange Coast College. So not kaiju, but you know, these, the, an elephant's pretty large to me. And to see a bunch of them, you know, running along, uh, at college colors, having races and different competitions, that would have been a sight. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no elephant in this episode, <laughs> no. only the elephant in the room. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. but yeah, that's what I got for uh, day and date. So we got a, a, a giant moth and then people riding elephants. I'm pretty sure. All right. That's a decent tie in there. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. This ec- this episode was directed by uh, the steady hand of John Bram, who we talked about all the way back in season one uh, with the episode time enough at last. And unfortunately we only have three more episodes with him, but fortunately they're spread out through the rest of the seasons. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, we don't have too much more with him, which is uh, unfortunate because he is definitely uh, one of my top directors for the series mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, I, just, I was going to just put a note. The last episode that we watched of his was Person or Persons Unknown uh, with an immediate window jump. Uh, so credit to that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you know, whenever people jump out of windows, we, 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 we will be there to talk about it. Yep. Uh, this episode was written by Richard Matheson, marking the return for him. Um, and then cast, we have Phyllis Thaxter, who plays Virginia Lane Walker, who this was her only Twilight Zone appearance, but she did play Ma Kent in the 78 Superman mm-hmm. film. So something that I think will feed into this episode. And when I read that, you'll be like, oh, yeah. So at MGM, she routinely portrayed the ever patient wife to a number of leading men. Uh, she then moved on to Warner Brothers in the 50s, but usually played the same type of roles. Huh? Yeah. Well, she wasn't too patient in this one. Um, well, no, she waited a number of years. Like we, <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> I guess we caught her at her final breaking yeah. uh, point. So, um, 
Next up, we have Alex Nickel, who plays Alex Walker. This was also his only Twilight Zone appearance, but um, he he did a quite a few cult films back in the day. Another appearance of the night that God screamed. That I still have that DVD. I haven't gotten around to it, so I'm definitely going to have to get to it and post a quick review on the Patreon for that one. Um, he was in Roger Corman's Bloody Mama, the Screaming Skull. He actually directed and acted in. And that's uh, that's kind of a staple on any of those like 50 pack horror <laughs> box sets. Um, and then a movie I watched actually at Cinema Wasteland here in Cleveland a few years ago. It was terrible. Um, I did not make the connection. Uh, he directed it called Point of Terror with Diane Thorne, who plays Ilsa in the She-Wolf of the SS series. Hmm. Yeah, so a terrible movie, like almost unwatchable. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it was just it was a weird experience. Because usually when you watch those types of movies at horror conventions, like the crowd's kind of having fun with it. It was just a silent crowd (laughs) that was having no fun with the film. It was a very strange experience. And uh, Diane Thorne actually came on, I think, before the movie to do a talk. I was like, yeah, it's probably a good call because I think uh, half the room left halfway through the movie. very, very strange, though. I wasn't expecting that connection. And then he was in the giant uh, monster movie called Ape. It was kind of a comedy sci-fi film. Um, and I, I guess kind of ties into our kaiju talk earlier. <laughs> yeah. But that's go. also a terrible movie. I watched that uh, quite a few years ago, and I remember <laughs> pretty much nothing of it other than the, I'll never watch it again. So, yeah. Wow. So this guy was, uh, he, he made his, uh, his money later on rolling around in like some very specific genre uh, stuff. So that, I, that's yeah, cool. And I, I guess point of terror was something if I, if I'm remembering it correctly, was kind of a passion project for him. And I think he funded it mostly himself. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird one. If, if, if you're a Diane Thorne completist or something and you want to watch it, <laughs> uh, that's the only way I'd ever recommend it. But it is on DVD, thankfully. So, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just feel like that we do need to get to the night that God screamed because we've talked about it a few times. And I know you have it. So I, that's that one is on my radar just because the premise of it uh, just sounds really interesting. And it could be it could be worth the watch. So I want to check it out yeah. with you. Hopefully it's not another point of terror. But <laughs> it's it's got such a cool name. I just want to check it out almost based on that alone. Um, so next up, we have Wallace Rooney, who plays Mr. Wilkinson, who we previously talked about on the Rip Van Winkle caper episode. And then he'll be in one more future episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, that's all I got for him, too. Yep. And we got Helen Brown, who plays Mrs. Henrietta Walker, um, who was in Shane, a bunch of other small roles here and there. Nothing else really that I had of note. Do you have anything for her? I saw Shane and I got sad. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I got one more here. We have Ricky Kelman who plays uh, uh, another character. <laughs> and this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. Yeah. And I saw that he was mainly a child actor. Uh, yeah. That's for considering what we had, unfortunately, with the, the actor in The Gift. Uh, you know, um, Ricky maybe wasn't the best actor, but he was so competent that I was I did I didn't think twice about him in the episode in terms of like, wow, he can't talk right. No, but he was fine. 
Yeah, he wasn't good nor bad. Yeah. He just he was there. He served his purpose. And uh, <laughs> I guess that's a compliment that you don't quite remember him. So that's good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. And then oh, I will mention uh, music on this episode because it is uh, it is a pretty good score on this one it was by Nathan Scott, who also did the episode A Stop at Willoughby. OK. Um, so when we started the episode before we actually start talking, I, I wanted to make a point to make sure that we snuck in. What was it? Lady in Red was the, the song that they talk about. Uh, I yes. wanted to make sure that we had that in there because it does show up a few times in the episode. Um, but yeah, that's your cast and crew. Uh, there's a screaming skull in there and a mock hint and that's, you know, and someone that was in an episode called the Rip Van Winkle Caper that I'm struggling to remember parts of now. So <laughs> that's it. I remember the glass coffins. Yes. About it. And I remember uh, trading water for gold bars and then uh, bludgeoning with gold bars and laughing and then immediately crying. That's what I remember about that episode. So I guess yeah. I remember more than I thought I did. So all right. Secret cave entrances and glass coffins. That's all you need to remember. <laughs> yes. Those are the high points for me. All right. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let Sterling give his um, 15 minute long intro to this episode. And then we'll be back uh, after that. Tuck in. This one's a longer one. You're looking at the house of the late Mrs. Henrietta Walker. This is Mrs. Walker herself, as she appeared 25 years ago. And this, except for isolated objects, is the living room of Mrs. Walker's house, as it appeared in that same year. The other rooms upstairs and down are much the same. The time, however, is not 25 years ago, but now. The house of the late Mrs. Henrietta Walker is, you see, a house which belongs almost entirely to the past. A house which, like Mrs. Walker's clock here, has ceased to recognize the passage of time. Only one element is missing now, one remaining item in the estate of the late Mrs. Walker. Her son, Alex, 34 years of age and up till 20 minutes ago, the so-called perennial bachelor. With him is his bride, the former Miss Virginia Lane. They're returning from the city hall in order to get Mr. Walker's clothes packed, make final arrangements for the sale of the house, lock it up and depart on their honeymoon. Not a complicated set of tasks, it would appear, and yet the newlywed Mrs. Walker is about to discover that the old adage, you can't go home again, has little meaning in the Twilight Zone. And that's all we have time for you guys this week. And uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah. In the meantime, I actually got my uh, degree in VCR repair through a mail order course while that was playing. So I now have some second <laughs> do you think income. He was, do you think he was trying to one up Matheson or something? <laughs> like, I, I don't I'm going to have just as much dialogue in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had more than like the third person in the episode. Uh, or not the third person, but you, t- you talk about like the elephant in the room. He had more dialogue than one of the most important characters of the episode. Um, yeah. So normally we say, we'll get back to the Sterling intro in a minute, but this is the beginning of the episode. At first, it started off with the exterior shot of the house and you, you hear Sterling's voiceover. And I, for a moment, I was like, are we getting like a throwback to season one where we don't see Sterling? I was really, really, really wrong about that. Yeah, you you see a lot of Serling in this. It cuts into the, uh, it goes through the living room and then goes into the hallway, and you have Serling next to this old uh, grandfather clock. Yeah, and he's uh, kind of leaning against it, and then 
slowly walks uh, walks into the living room, I believe. But um, he's kind of moving throughout the house. It's it's a cool intro. Uh, it it is long, but I think it's just enough of an info dump to get you going to set up for the rest of the episode. So I usually whenever we have these long intros, that's kind of a warning sign for us. Mm-hmm. Um, this might actually be one of the situations where. It, it it turned out okay for me. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I like that as he's talking, he just peeks out the window. So that just I like the idea that he's just been in this house creeping around, looking at everything until they show up, and he's just waiting for them. It's like almost like a home invader where he's already there making himself comfortable, and he's waiting for the family to come in. Yeah, that's right. He looks out the window as they pull up, and we're watching them uh, get out of the car. I'm watching Alex. Uh, Take, uh, I already forgot her name, um, Virginia, letting her out of the car and everything. But we're watching it through the blinds with Serling. (laughs) It's it's pretty great. It's like this young Um, newlywed couple. What are they going to do? You know, it's. (laughs) um, I'm going to go hide in the closet, but. Thanks for checking in on the Twilight Zone. You just, see, like, you just see a little bit of cigarette smoke come out from you at the closet. And you hear the clicking of a camera. You're like, what's going on in there, Rod? Uh, um, yeah. So uh, you're right. Like, I think it serves the point. And uh, it, it was it was a good sort of like intro uh, in terms of his you know statement and then his uh, creeping around the house. Uh, and then I'm going to yeah. bring up probably my weirdest and uh, biggest problem with this episode. Alex cannot be 34, right? He's not. Isn't that what he says? He's 34? no, no. He's he's like in his mid forties. The actor, uh, okay. in this episode. Yeah, he looks like he's close to sixty. <laughs> <laughs> we, he looks like. Remember? Um, oh, I, I forget the actor's name, but the one that played the character Smithers in A Pity for Your Thoughts, and he was in the piano in the house. He was the butler. Yeah. He looks like the younger version of him before life hit him really hard. Like, and yeah. Like, like not like I mean, young. I'm, I'm talking like maybe like twenty years younger, not like super young. Um, Smithers is only 40 years old. That's what we don't know. <laughs> oh, but, Just too many of those. Uh, oh, man. I can't remember any of the brands of cigarettes. Oasis. Uh, Oasis. There you yeah. go. Too many Oasis cigarettes for yeah. uh, Smithers and Chesterfield or whatever. Yeah. Um, for Smithers and uh, Alex Nickel here. Yeah. Um, I mean, from the way he kind of like frets about the house and is worrying, I mean, maybe stressed it and eating all the uh, invisible fudge. On top of the radio, maybe that's what also aged him as well. <laughs> we'll talk yeah. about some of that. I also in a second. think it's partly like I have no gauge, and I think we've talked about it on the show just no gauge of age from this era because no. everybody's wearing suits, everyone's cleanly shaven, you know, everyone like uh, people. I, I, I guess we're more, I don't want, I don't want to say responsible or anything because that's what that's weird, but. I'm not, I'm, I'm not responding, but again, I think we talked about this in an earlier episode where we're not exposed to the sun all the time and we don't smoke <laughs> like, uh, like, I guess that's true. Like trains. So we don't end up looking like, you know, like a, like a, like a salted ham. Like we don't end up looking yeah. like that. Um, well, it's cause we're locked in rooms doing podcasts all the time. <laughs> we don't get to see the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my body's getting closer to like the future baby people and Wally than, uh, than these people in this episode. I, I, I will agree with that. I'm losing bone density as we sit here. Um, well, yeah, he, uh, the actor was in his forties, I believe. And they said he was like, which by the way, that doesn't matter. Like you could just tell you say his age because it doesn't really, in fact, that might actually help the story more because of his relationship with the house and his mother. 
I, I would think. And maybe that would help inform more of the relationship with him and Virginia if you actually said what his actual age was, because there would be more questions of like, how long has this been going on? Yeah, because I, I, I feel like now 34 is like, well, that's that's a little too long to be staying at home with your mother and everything. But at the, but if you put it back into like 1962 time, like still living with your mother at the age 34 is probably unreasonable, <laughs> like completely ridiculous. Um, so I, I definitely agree if they didn't have an age, it would have been more timeless. But at that time, like having him 34 is like, yeah, you should be married and have a family like long ago already. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they come into the house, Rod runs out the back door. No, you don't see that happen. I uh, know you're right. He heads in the closet. That's Cause he decided. never left. Yeah. yeah. He never <laughs> left. He hid, in the, he hid in the closet. Uh, so they come in and, um, they're this whole thing of, they're just trying to, you know, get the house in order to get ready to sell it. And as they go walking into the living room, there's this really awesome futuristic vacuum from 1962. I, I don't know what it is. I love the weird bubble looking vacuums from that time. And he's like, oh, 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 I was just doing some cleaning before and I'll pick this up. It's like, so you just vacuumed and just left it here in the hall, like the, the whatever, like in front of this entry into this living room. Is that what you do when you get done vacuuming? You just leave the vacuum? I, I don't know if I do that. Um, it was weird. Uh, yeah, but- you got to continuously vacuum. <laughs> um, no, so the whole premise is they're, they're going to sell the house. They have the realtor coming over for them to sign papers and everything. So they're about to go on their honeymoon. So he's got to go pack. Yeah. But you immediately see that he is trying to stall, you know, he's trying to clean up the house. Um, he starts walking around and, uh, reminiscing about when his mother was alive, which we find out she passed away about a year ago. And, um, you know, it, it, she keeps trying to rush him around, like go pack. We need to go. Um, and he keeps finding things to get into. Mm-hmm. And he brings up the idea of like, what do we need to keep? I need, we need to, we need to figure out what we're going to keep out of the house, like the appliances and all this. And eventually he makes his way over to the radio and he starts talking about how, um, mother's favorite song was the lady in red, as you mentioned, the Eddie Duchin song. And, um, she would always sit there and listen to that song with him and he goes to turn on the radio and it turns out it's broken. He, he makes some kind of statement. It's a weird statement of, um, what was it? I, I uh, knew it was broken. The radio is pretty old, but it's probably broken, but we got it fixed. But I'm like that. Uh, what? Like you just, whatever. So, and he goes to try to turn it on, which by the way, also he, the two of the programs he mentions, uh, that they used to listen to are two of the programs they mentioned in static that the guy was listening to on the radio. Um, it's kind of an end joke that he referenced the exact same like programs, uh, on there and they okay. did that on purpose. Well, um, connected universe. Like. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make me feel better about it, but yeah, it was, it was a nice little joke. Uh, but he goes to turn on the, the radio. It doesn't turn on. He's like, Oh, why would I think it was going to work? And then he, he goes to sit down the, the chair by the radio and he's like, Oh, mother used to sit here and read her movie magazines. And, and she would, she would just make fudge and he goes to pantomime eating fudge. And it's just like, we know you talk, there's a plate there that fudge would have been there. And she goes to stop him. She's like, what, like what's going on? And, and he, he's kind of catching himself as well. Even though he's still dragging his feet, he's like, why would I remember that right now? And he keeps kind of saying these things about like, why are these, these details coming to me at this moment? Yeah. So, uh, she pushes him along. He goes upstairs, starts packing finally. 
And um, so in the meantime, there is a picture of (laughs) Henrietta, his mother, pretty much in every room, which is amazing of her just like disapproving stare at them (laughs) in every photo. Um, It's great. But so when he goes upstairs, she turns towards this picture and that's when we get that clip that we played at the beginning of this episode about he's all mine. You'll never get his claws on him again. And as soon as she says that to the picture of Henrietta, the radio clicks on the broken radio and it's playing the instrumental version of the lady in red. Yeah. And I wanted to pull that because, um, and, and I'll talk about maybe some of my, my, um, my nitpicks with the episode, but that's a very creepy thing of you establishing that this thing doesn't work. Uh, and you know, your, your husband is like waxing nostalgic about his childhood and his mother. And then you turn right around and taunt, you know, the image of the mother. And then you hear her favorite song start playing. Like I, I w- at that point I was like, Ooh, we're in for something here. This is really creepy. Uh, yeah, and, there's, yeah. there's a lot of things that, uh, are, are things that Matheson does really well mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, obviously like setting it in a very common place. We've seen a lot of his, um, deal with very easily, uh, relatable stories and settings and everything. But I feel like this is where we get to see some of the stuff that is almost reminiscent of his work, like hell house or all that, like with the radio clicking on. And then there's the stuff with the clock that we're about to get to. That is really terrifying. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's stuff that would, that on, on its surface, you don't think much about, but then it's like, it shouldn't be. And that's where the, the dread starts creeping in, you know? And I, um, so I was expecting, not more, but I, I really, that was cool. I was really all about that. And I also like that Virginia, you get a little bit about her where, you know, now that, you know, she has her husband and she can, it was almost like she gave herself a moment to let her guard down and tell the, the mother-in-law off. Well, she technically, like, she's dead. So I mean, I don't know if she'd be a mother-in-law cause they got married that day. Um, technically right i mean not i mean there's no legal binding yeah. Be like yeah but like lowering her garden being like now like i've you know i got him and i took that that she was going to be a little bit more villainous throughout the episode but in hindsight it's more like she just lets her like she gets that moment of just being like after everything i've put up with finally and she just says it and then immediately things start going weird in the house yeah so she calls up to Alex and uh, eventually he's not answering. So eventually she goes upstairs and he's going through his old toy box <laughs> and the radio is also playing upstairs in his room with the same song. And uh, <laughs> he's going through and he's pulling his toys out. He pulls out like one of his old childhood outfits. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> probably my favorite line in a while um, since since maybe the long pants conversation <laughs> of long distance call. Um, he pulls out this pair of stockings and, uh, he says a line, it takes a real boy to know a real stocking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I guess it's, it's part of some like advertisement back in the day, but he says it with no explanation (laughs) initially. (laughs) I was so taken aback by long pants that I saw. I was like, Oh look, there's long pants. So, uh, I may or may but not have, but then he gives that gem of, uh, it takes a real boy to know a real stock. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Uh, I didn't think too much about that cause I was too busy stopping the episode to get an image of those pants. So, uh, but, uh, it just, yeah. the, the, he was going through like his Hardy boy books and like the toys. And, uh, but when he talks about the ad, he's like, why would I remember that? And he, and he says it again. 
And um, Virginia says uh, something about how, um, you know, your mother would have wanted you to stay uh, a kid so you could keep wearing that. And, and then he gets upset. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I went too far. It's like, that's not the harshest of statements. Also, that seems pretty obvious. You know, like, I feel, I feel like this is a big conversation. They probably would have had at some point in the year between his mother passing away and them getting married. You'd think yeah. that there'd be some, some of those issues would be starting to get worked through, but no, she made this comment that really wasn't Kurt. And then he gets up and uh, goes into the bedroom and starts to pack. And she's like, do you need help? He's like, I'll be fine. It's like, he got butthurt in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, uh, this whole episode, you're really supposed to feel for, uh, um, Virginia, Virginia in it. But, uh, like this guy, this guy has some real mental issues <laughs> and she's being really pushy throughout of it, throughout it of like, it's just kind of laying it down and it doesn't seem like the right way to deal with this situation no. at times. Um, but I mean, I understand she's been dealing with it for years now and, uh, she's kind of at her breaking point by the time we jump in much like last week. Uh, with the episode with his agent, who is we jump in at the point where he's just had enough. It's a similar situation where you're like, why is she being so cold and like <laughs> short with him? But you have to remember, like, this is the breaking point, you know, like this has been going on for a while now. Like she's finally kind of had enough for it. So she comes off as a little bit pushy and unlikable in this. But um, you kind of have to pull yourself back and be like, no, I think most reasonable people would be at this point by now. So, yeah. uh, so she leaves the room and he starts talking to the photo, uh, to his, to a photo of his mother who is judging everybody again. And, uh, about like, well, I, he says it's something such along, a great picture. <laughs> it is such a great picture. It's, I, I almost just want to like print that out and put it in a frame and just like, keep it out. <laughs> put, like, just put one in every room without telling your wife. Like, just, who is this? <laughs> like, Don't worry about it. You know, um, I just, then, the name the, Henrietta will always creep me out because of evil dead with the, uh, with the demon in the fruit cellar. Oh, the, dead, okay. the fruit seller. Yeah. Her name's Henrietta. Oh. So every time I see it, obviously that came way later in this episode, <laughs> but it's just what pops in my mind. Cause Henrietta isn't a name you hear often. No, I, I, well, I will put the photos up in my, in my various rooms. And then every so often I'll just go over and admire, uh, some pants, you know, uh, stockings, some stockings, some stockings. a real boy knows a real, real stocking. stocking. Yeah. Uh, but he says something to the effect of, uh, to the, the photo about like, uh, like, I don't want to sell the house or something like that. Like, so you, you, not that it wasn't already apparent, but you can tell that this is not what he wants to do. And so in the meantime, we, we even mentioned that we forgot to mention that she calls the, basically the banker or realtor in the meantime. So he's coming over while they're trying to get packed. And so when she gets downstairs, um, and we also forgot to mention that, that Alex, the clock had been stopped and he got it starting again, but then it stopped again. So yeah. when she comes back downstairs, uh, the clock is now like working, which is also yeah. creepy. Yeah, that, that's that's probably my favorite part of this episode is the stuff with the clock, to be honest. Like it, it felt like such a hell house thing or um, it, it's it's like the heart of the house coming alive, like that type of thing. I it just it creeped me out so much when the, every time that clock started ticking, they had the ticking of the clocks mixed so loud within the soundtrack mm -hmm. of this that it just, it overtook everything else when it was happening. Um, 
So the clock's working, and as soon as Mr. Wilkinson rings the doorbell, the clock stops again. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure I saw that. I didn't pick up on it. That's yeah, that's that's creepy. Uh, yeah. Well, what, what's creepier, so, that or him saying the words "fine and dandy" over and over again through his conversation, yeah. or his constant blinking? <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I didn't. I don't up on think that. I would have bought a house from a guy that blinked that much while following me around the house. Oh. Uh, so she calls Alex downstairs, and as soon as he comes back downstairs, the clock starts ticking again. Hmm. So there's this whole thing with the clock uh, starting depending on what's going on in the house, starting and stopping, which uh, I, I thought was a great touch in this. Um, but he's uh, Wilkinson comes in the house and he's got the papers and everything. And he's got a, he wants to call his secretary just to let her know where he's at. Cause she doesn't know. And um, as he's doing that, Alex is sitting at the, at the kitchen table uh, sitting over the papers and he leaves to go call and comes back. Well, first and, uh, he, uh, the Wilkinson's asked Virginia to, to do it, or she offers to do it, to call the secretary so the call could be forwarded over. And when she goes to do it, she looks down and the phone is changed from a modern phone to a, uh, a ro- not, not a rotary, but the old, well, it was a rotary phone, but it has like the, yeah. the separate earpiece you pick up and you talk into it. And That's she's right. like, yeah. and she's like upset about it. And he comes over, he's like, well, I'll just do it myself. It's like, yeah, misogynistic piece of whatever. But and he's like, fine <laughs> and dandy. Um, and then as they're looking over the paperwork and she turns back and looks again, cause he picks up the phone to make the call and it's the regular phone again. So yeah. like reality's kind of, kind of changing around her and you, you're, she sells it really well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so after he makes a phone call, he comes back into the kitchen and Alex tells him that he wants to think about it now that he's not quite sure that he wants to sell the house. And there's a great reaction shot, um, of Virginia and just like her, her terror. Like it, it's, it looks like terror and disgust all mixed together because <laughs> she knows what's happening. She mm-hmm. knows that he's still in the grips of his mother and everything. And she tells him like, you promised, you said you were going to sell the house and everything. And, um, he, he ends up going to pack and everything, but he says when they get back, like, why can't they live in this house? He's like, we could decorate it a little, like, no, like you could change it completely, but he wouldn't, but he's like, it's, he's like, could we live here? It's a pretty nice house. (laughs) He's so, he's so wormy, like not as in like, you know, nefarious, but you, he's just, he's just like, not whiny. He's not the right way either, but he just, you, you just kind of want to punch him. Cause it's just like, he can't make up his mind and he's so just backpedaling from something that, you know, you know, he had a long conversation with his wife previous to this and he, and you can tell that he's like, yeah, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and do this anyway. I know you're not gonna be happy about it, but I'm going to do it and kind of leaves her twisting in the wind as he goes back upstairs. Yeah. So they have an argument about like how she wants her own home and she deserves it mm-hmm. and that your mom's dead and she's been dead for a year and we need to we need to move on you need to move on with your life and all this stuff and you find out that his mother was sick and he said it was sick because she was taking care of him in the house cuz their father had deserted them so it, it kind of gives you a little bit more insight into the relationship between him and his mother um so he eventually, in this really weird tone, just says he won't sell the house. Mm-hmm. And she um, says something like, don't look at me like you don't even know me, which I think is very yeah. telling. 
Yeah, and uh, as he storms upstairs, there's something about, like, I won't let you or something. I, I wrote a quote down. I don't even remember who said it, but um, it's a, a, like the clock starts ticking again as he goes back upstairs after he says he won't sell the house. And again, uh, the clock being the star of this episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, um, I picked up the clock stuff earlier, but now you keep mentioning it. I miss that, like, both times. I, like, the second half of the clock doing its thing. It's um, just the ticking is mixed so loud in like it's, it's really hard to miss it. Oh um, no, I don't, I don't doubt that. It, it, I'm sure it was right there hitting me in the face, but I just, I just wasn't picking it up because also, I mean, this episode does do other things to show that things aren't right in the house. So I got, I mean, I got the point, but I didn't, for some reason I missed that. Um, so that's a, that's a twilight zone fail for me. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, like you said, other things are changing in the house, like the vacuum. There's the Screen Digest magazine is out. There's fudge uh, in the plate that was empty before. Um, haunted, the haunted inside fudge. Inside of the kitchen. Yeah. I what just, was I, it? I, haunted fudge. Just I've never seen someone be so scared to see fudge. <laughs> like, it is creepy, though. <laughs> I mean, they they sell it really well in this mm-hmm. episode. And as she goes back into the kitchen and everything, there's uh, appliances uh, back in there. Just everything is changing back to the way it was when he was a kid. Um, we Well, we get that. We don't know what it looked like. But it seems like the house is going back to the way it used to be. Um so finally, she goes to run upstairs to go check on Alex again. When she gets to the steps, we get revealed that uh, Mother Henrietta is at the top of the stairs. And it's a great reveal because it's basically from, um, Vir- I can't remember her name every time, Virginia's point of view mm-hmm. as it looks up to her on the steps. And uh, credit, I know Matheson wanted a little bit more of a ghostly figure at the steps, but I think... Uh, I think the portrayal and the the introduction of the mother actually showing up in the house is scary enough in this episode. And I feel like if they would have added any effects around it or anything, it may have taken away from um, how I felt about the appearance of the mother. Yeah, that's I mean, I, w- I was expecting her to say something like this because it's like you've seen this this like condescending figure the whole whole episode staring at you. And I was, and so I mean I guess it works in its favor that she didn't say anything, but she just stared, well, and there was the slow head like the like the like the back and forth of no. She um, does say something. Doesn't she say something like this is not my doing? Oh, you're right. She does saying say, yeah, like I'm this sorry. is basically Alex and his uh, obsession with his youth and nostalgia that's keeping me alive or brought me back. Like, cause that's pretty much all she says is this is not my due. I must've not heard that over the ticking of the clock that I didn't hear either. So that must've been, no, I, it, I, I remember her saying that now that you said that, but for whatever reason, my mind blanked on that. I'm just, I'm, I am uh, just falling apart here mentally in the second half. <laughs> You're so, good. So, yeah. um, it's, it's appropriate for this episode. <laughs> um, so then at that point, uh, you hear Alex calling, come back to me, mother. And he comes out of the room. And he's a little boy again. And he asks his mother if they can go to the park and to the zoo and have two ice cream. Cups. Two ice creams. That's a crazy yeah. day. Getting wild. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she takes his hand and they um, they start going back into the room. And Virginia is calling up to Alex and he yells down like, go away, lady. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> and it's a really upsetting, brutal ending. 
and uh, you feel really bad for Virginia because it's it's over for her. Mm-hmm. Like, so she's lost him, lost him to his mother again. Since since the wedding, since their marriage license, probably the ink's not dry yet. Can she just get that annulled? Can you just, yeah, like, I guess probably. it's like, Hey, I know we're just here getting married, but, uh, but my husband's now a child stuck in a ghost house. Um, my, my child, uh, or my, my child, my husband is, uh, now wearing stockings again. So, uh, cause he's a real boy and he knows real stockings. <laughs> Next time I go to yoga, uh, with my wife, I'm going to put on stockings and be like, <laughs> you know what they say. <laughs> just, but like, don't finish the statement. Just be like, you know what they say. And just put the stockings on. Like, I, I, yeah, that would be great. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's your episode. It, it I mean, is. That's, it's, that's it's a, it. it's a very, it's a very downer ending. And this, cause you see on Virginia's face, like she, you know, the, her world's ruined. Um, and she lost after, cause we, we talked about a little bit, but there's a point when she's having the conversation with him and the, the living room about like, she, you know, was with him for years, like, what was it five years or so before yeah, something like that? Yeah. And how basically she's like, we, you know, I went through all this. Now it's my time and I'm, I'm entitled to a home of my own. I have that right. So I know you say she comes off as like frustrated, angry. And I, I agree. I, I do. She, I do think she comes off sympathetic there. I am not saying that like the most sympathetic, but you, you get that she has been waiting and uh yeah and, and we're catching her at the breaking point like i said yeah. but it's it's pretty obvious from the get-go that he has um kind of a mental illness i would even say <laughs> so um and it just he's not right yeah. <laughs> even from the beginning so it, it's just it, kind of the way she deals with him of almost ignoring that side of this and just trying to push him along and pushing him and pushing him. And that kind of leads to his total collapse and his, uh, reverting back to a child. Um, so I, I think, I think almost everybody in this episode is to blame uh, <laughs> a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. Fine and dandy. I would agree with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you definitely at the end of the episode, there's no doubt that, uh, your heart lies with Virginia because <laughs> it's it's a brutal downer ending for her because um, she has good intentions, you know, like she wants him to have a better life and to move on with everything. Like it's it, it's not that she's a terrible person throughout the episode, just, you know, a little unsympathetic towards his possible mental illness or his his depression, you know, um, but. Yeah, I mean, nobody deserves that ending for just trying to <laughs> yeah. like get somebody to move on with their life and everything. Um, so it, it definitely your sympathies lie with her at the end of this episode. Yeah, I just but. so now that you you pointed that and illuminated the, to me that there's the clock going on all the time. Uh, again, I don't know why I missed that. I that that is creepier. Uh, this episode has an air of creepiness about it. It just felt like nothing happened. Until like, what was like, I kept keeping my notes here. Um, like 11 minutes in is whenever like things start kind of getting a little bit more obvious, which I know that this episode's only like 25 minutes long, but I felt like the first part of it, there was just a lot of like a lot of wheel spinning. And even though you got the bit with the radio turning on, there was just these same repeated conversations with Alex about like, well, why aren't you packing? So I felt like there was a lot of time wasted there when the point was coming across, where you could have maybe spent a little bit more time 
like easing into what was going on around them because I feel like it happens very, very fast at the end with him just going upstairs and becoming a kid again. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I kind of disagree because I feel like it's a I, I think it's a good build and it really sets the the emotional. Um, it, I, it sets like it sets up the payoff really well because you slowly get the idea that like you see that he's getting more and more stubborn stubborn as it goes and it's building up and I think there is a good amount of tension with introducing like the photos of the mother and then setting up the fudge setting up the radio setting up the clock like everything has a setup and payoff in this mm-hmm. and there is that emotional build that when you do get to that final twist at the end, I think it, I think it's a great payoff. So I, I think all the stuff is definitely earned at the end that was set up in the beginning. And I think if you delete any of that out of this episode, it wouldn't have that emotional payoff. That's what I was trying to get to. Okay. I mean, I, I, I yeah. no, and, I, and that might just be a per- personal preference. Cause I do like a lot of slow burn stuff like this. Well, I do too. I, I, I just, I feel like there's times where they, and I, I get the point too, that you say he's getting more stubborn. I would, I would argue that he's getting more childlike with some yeah, of the well, kinda, childlike and stubborn, yeah. you know, you see him slowly reverting back, uh, with his mindset. I mean, as so far as to like, when she comes upstairs that first time, he's just sitting on the floor like a child digging through his toy box and everything. Um, it just scene by scene, um, he gets closer and closer to what he eventually turns into, which is Ricky Kelman. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I didn't hate this episode. I, I mean, I liked it. Yeah. It no, just, I, I, I definitely don't get the vibe that you're hating this. Episode. No, no, you've, you've, I, heard, you've heard my venom for things earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely could see that you enjoyed it a bit, but and, um, and I love Matheson. I I enjoyed and it, it a little bit more. That's fair, and and Matheson, you're you're right. He's good at like setting up like the 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 what seems normal, but is like a, a little bit askew. Uh, it some of the 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 past coming back reminds me a little bit of like a bid time farewell, uh, and with the notion of like if you believe hard enough, you can go there. So you, this is something yeah. obviously that he, you know, has. Keeps he has visited previously, or I should say later, because he wrote that that novel later. Um, so, and also there's there's something to be said for in much a similar way to Static of you wish for a different time because you feel like the world was better than even though you haven't changed as a person because time itself changes. There, I think there's a parallel there. Um, I think this episode is smooth smoother all throughout than Static, but there's very similar themes. I know it's not written by Matheson, but I feel like they're yeah. they're very much side by side in some aspects. Yeah, and I mean we've seen the nostalgia and the going back to your youth and everything so many times throughout the series. So I feel like this this is a good companion piece to a lot of episodes mm-hmm. we've seen already, but it feels different enough that uh it, it doesn't feel like some of the episodes we've seen that Serling has been pumping out where it's just like, Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll just make the same story in a different setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so it was it was kind of exciting to see because a lot of the nostalgia view that in the earlier episodes aren't painted in a negative light like this one, whereas this is this is the first episode that I'm really taking as like maybe nostalgia isn't the greatest thing, you know, like, yeah, um, I I just because even like uh, like uh, 
what what is the episode I'm trying to think of? Walking distance is that walking like, distance? Yeah. yeah, like that. Like definitely, you find out that like you can't go back and that type of thing. But I feel like this one shows that nostalgia and longing to be young again or to stay young can ultimately end up being dangerous. Um, it it kind of has a different take on that whole story. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I don't know if you have any other notes from the episode proper. I have a little story about Matheson's reaction to the episode that I'd like to read. It's not not that long, but it shows some of his feelings about it. Um, yeah, I'll wrap yeah. up my final okay. thoughts uh, when we do the twist rating yeah. and everything. But that's those are pretty much uh, all my notes for the episode improper. I, I just want to mention earlier when they're supposed to call the the realtor, he's like, I, I think I lost the number, which another tip off that supposedly there was the card yeah. by the phone and it was gone. And she's like, no, just just call information. And I wrote, AKA Google 1962 is what I wrote. Yeah. Well, it's just <laughs> funny because like every excuse he can find to not call the realtor or to delay things like he finds at the beginning of this yeah. episode, like, no, I was going to vacuum. I'm oh. going to vacuum. I'm going to clean now. No, I lost the card. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I fight. Um, I've lost my ability to see things. I don't know. Like, like that's, where, where am I? Um, oh, I'm guess, blind. Yeah, I guess, I? I guess I can't leave now. Do I smell fudge? All right. So um, <laughs> uh, here's what Matheson said about, uh, about the episode. He said, the ending I hated. It was the way I wrote it. Uh, the story being that the boy was causing it, not the mother. It's just that the mother didn't look menacing. She just looked a little worn out like Stella Dallas. I don't know who that is or something. It didn't have the impact it should have had. She should have been kind of horrifying so that when Phyllis Thaxter stared, started to tell her off, you thought there was a confrontation coming like in the un- uninvited. But there wasn't that feeling to it. And then the little boy came in and he wasn't very good either, which is kind of, kind of blew the whole point of the episode. <laughs> he, he's uh, <laughs> not very happy with, uh, with Ricky there. Yeah, I, I didn't think the kid was that bad. And it, honestly, like, I think the mother was horrifying enough because you know that she's been dead for a year. So any 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 picture of her popping up in this house would have been uh, nightmarish. Well, so with, I, I'm okay with that. With him saying, and, and you reminding me that she said this isn't my doing. Yeah. It, I mean, it is there in front of you that he is the one causing all this. But if you if you kind of, like, if you're just watching this and it doesn't sink in, there's a much darker thing of like, it's not necessarily her. It's his wanting of her that's causing this to happen. And that's way more creepy than the ghost haunting the house. It's just that it's his wanting to will it into existence, which I think is sadder and, and more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Which is there in the episode. And I, I bet if you were to read the teleplay of this, um, it would come off a little bit more subtle or maybe a little bit better. And I know the ending that he initially wanted was um, I think Virginia was supposed to run up into the bedroom after him, after he leads his mother in there. Yeah. And um, they're both gone and slowly all of his things start disappearing out of the room and it reverts back to the way it was when they first entered the house. Yeah, you're right. That was what he wanted was more of like to so, showing that she he's now back there and she's alone in this house. Yeah, so like it, that, it, I think that's a good ending too. Mm-hmm. I, I like both of the endings. Like I honestly don't have a problem with either one. Um, I I don't agree with Matheson. I mean, <laughs> like I think I think this is a good ending for it. I think it got enough of the point across. Um, I had no problems with it. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's always, this sounds kind of like backwards. It's always good to have like a downer ending 
that feels not earned, but it, it's where the story was going to go. So it was nice not to have like the whole like, oh, the power of love brought him back and his, you know, his short pants or whatever, his long pants. And it's, now they're all together forever. And then they take the photo and they turn it. They just lay it down flat so the mother can't judge them. Like at least there was more of this like she's never going to be right again after what just happened. Yeah, nobody is after yeah. the story. And that's ultimately where this story had to end up. And it was uh, it was refreshing and depressing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, other, other bit of trivia, too, is that this title for this episode is originally called The House. Um, I don't really know if it either way. I think putting yeah. the story on Young Man's Fancy puts more emphasis on him than The House, which I think is probably the better call. Yeah, I, I don't really like either title, yeah. title to be honest. But, but they um, should have called it a um, more than middle-aged man's fancy is what they should have called the episode. Real stockings. Real That's stockings. That's what I would have called this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, yeah, let's just uh, let's just rate the twist. I wrote that Alex would be a mama's boy the entire time. A one. That's what I, I don't know if that's really the twist, but it, it, it was there at the beginning and it kept getting more and more pronounced and that his being a mama's boy is really what ultimately would, you know, finish out what was going on. Yeah. It, it pains me to rate the twist so poorly in this. Cause like I said, this, this story had one place to go and it goes there and it's, it's not really shocking or anything that you eventually see the mother I think it's a good scene when you see the mother mm-hmm. and I think it's earned and it is still terrifying, but it's not, it, it's not shocking and you <laughs> expect it the whole time. So as far as the twist goes, it's not great, but the episode as a whole, um, this was, this was kind of a, uh, surprise to me. I've okay. never really heard anyone talk about this episode. I've never seen this episode. And this was one of those ones that, um, might pop up in my top list for the oh, season. Wow. Like I really dug this thing. I think uh, I think the stuff with the clock and the radio coming on and uh, the performances, especially between uh, Alex Nickel and Phyllis Thaxter, are both phenomenal. And uh, they really carry this episode and carry the emotional weight that is needed for the story. Hmm. I will have to watch it again and pay attention to clock noises is what I'll have to do. So no, I liked yeah, it. That's, that's my MVP for this episode is that clock. clock. <laughs> no, I like it. Just, it's, it's a really terrifying thing. Like I, you know, there's, there are moments in this episode that if you were in this house, like I would probably walk straight out the front door mm-hmm. and never come back. Like it's <laughs> that terrifying, but it's played off as a little, it's more low key. It's not played as like, it doesn't seem like a horror movie necessarily as it's happening. And it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's an interesting tone for the episode. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I, I liked it. It just, uh, that's, that's cool that it struck a chord with you. And that's the great thing about the show is that, you know, there's so many different episodes and different types. Like I, I know, for example, like for whatever reason, I fell in love with that season one episode, the chaser. And I, I think it's phenomenal. And I know you liked it, but I was just over the moon about it. So that's kind of, you know, what happens and that's, that's great. Right. Cause that's the whole point of this, this, what we do. And then watching all these episodes, cause you just never know. There might be that one that's going to be just, just right where you need it to be. And you love it. So cool. I, uh, you know, I feel differently, but it's, 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 it's fine. That's, that's the whole point, right? 
I'll, I'll yeah. stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's pretty much all my notes on it. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I was impressed with it. All right. So um, uh, before we get to what the next episode is, uh, Kevin, how can people find us? Oh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. And as of this week, um, we are now on Spotify as well. I finally got around to submitting it to Spotify uh, a couple of years late, but we're up there. And uh, so if that's something that's easier for you guys to get to us, uh, please feel free to go over there and hop on our stream there. Um, and anywhere that you do download from, it would definitely help us out if you would rate and review us. And I'll let you kind of talk about the Patreon. Yeah. So we do have a Patreon. It's a uh, patreon.com slash strange highways. You could support us uh, as we make the show. Uh, we have a couple different incentives for you to support us financially. Um, one, no matter what, we would appreciate it. We appreciate you listening to the show regardless, but if you want to help support the show, um, that would be wonderful. So we have a $1 tier, uh, which is where is everybody that gives you access to, uh, Patreon specific episodes. Like right now we are watching the Jordan Peele produce twilight zone, and we're going to be recording our thoughts about, uh, season four, episode, a traveler, uh, next after we get done with this. But, but if you're not a Patreon, you won't hear it. So $1 and you can hear us talk about Steven Yoon, uh, stealing the entire show in that episode. Uh, $5 gives you, a five characters in search of an exit that gives you access to the detours that we do. And you could pick any anthology episode of a TV show. That's not twilight zone. And we will cover it here on the show. $10 is the 16 millimeter shrine where you get our detours and you could pick an anthology film for us to cover. And you could come on the show and talk about it with us. And we will send you a frame photo of the most important race horse of all time. Hyperion. It's, it's a great deal. So, uh, no matter what, uh, like I said, if you want to support the show, because, uh, uh, even though this doesn't not cost a great deal of money to produce, it does cost money and we would appreciate the support. Yeah. Um, and I forgot to mention, uh, if you want to email us or leave us voicemails, uh, you can do that at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. So next episode of the original series that we're covering, uh, and we're fast approaching the end of the season. Uh, we have, uh, I sing the body electric. It is a Ray Bradbury episode, uh, and I'll do Serling's uh, thing here. Um, the name Ray Bradbury has become synonymous with the new horizon of American writing. Next week on The Twilight Zone, we present a typical Bradbury tale. It also has typical Bradbury ingredients, including a grandmother built in a factory. Now, if that doesn't intrigue you, then I'm simply not doing justice to a most intriguing tale. I hope you'll join us next week for I Sing the Body Electric. Robot Grandmothers. That's what's going to happen. See, this character, this guy in this episode, if he would have had a robot mother or grandmother, he wouldn't have to go back in time. She could have stayed there. And yeah, that would have been a sitcom. He, <laughs> he could have worn stockings forever. Yeah. My, uh, my, my in-law, the robot, that would have been what it was called. So, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for, for us this week. Uh, oh, I, I didn't tell Kevin this before we started recording. So we're doing this on April 25th. The 26th is actually our third year anniversary as a show. So oh, happy, happy podcast uh, planned for it. Nope. So <laughs> this, <laughs> the, this episode will be released on that day. Uh, and I, it's funny that we're three, three years in and we're almost done with the third season. So I feel like we're on par to get through like season four is going to be short. So we'll, I think we're actually going to be kind of on pace to, to do this within five years. 
Yeah, but, we'll, ca- yeah. we'll catch up. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll do our usual detours after we finish the season just to kind of refresh ourselves. Um, so uh, keep an eye on the feed. Yeah. Keep it. We'll let you know what's coming. We'll definitely do our season three wrap up after the changing of the guard. So I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to be on your list for best and worst of the season. <laughs> I have a feeling this I have a feeling this is going to be the most uh our two lists are going to be very different (laughs) yeah we'll we'll see it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun so all right that's going to do it for us this week Uh, um have a great week and don't eat that ghost fudge yeah that was exactly what i was going to say (laughs) stay away from the ghost fudge park and then to the zoo and have two ice cream cones oh boy go away lady we don't need you anymore